0: They took Jesus that morning and uh, they took him up on a place called Golcada. He was found guilty without a sin. Without guilt. Without a crime. He did nothing wrong. They gave him a cross and he walked all the way on the road of Via Dolorosa. And the crowds were still swearing at him and they were still crying out crucify him and kill him. And the penalty that he got that day was one of the most severe penalties that you could ever dream of. It was a cruel way to die. The Roman government only had that penalty of dying on the cross for the most severe criminals. And he walked up on that hill. And when they came to the place, they put him down. And they took a hammer and they took some nails and they put down his one hand and started hitting that nail right through his hand. And then they put the other one down and they hit him right through his flesh into that wood. And he could hear the hammer hitting on that that nail. And he didn't fight back. He didn't swear at them. He didn't curse them. He didn't fight. He didn't struggle. It wasn't because he didn't have power. But we understand more about it when we look in the book of Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm just going to read it to you. Verse 7, he says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his he hearers, is silent. He did nothing. So he opened not his mouth. He didn't even scream to them and curse them like the two did on his sides. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare this generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He didn't cry out. And then they took some nails and they put his feet together and they hit those nails right through his feet into the wood. And they would lift it up and it would fall into its place. It was a heavy cross and it was a heavy body. The thing is when you hang on that cross and the reason why they had those nose through the legs is that it's an uncomfortable position to hang on because your whole body weight would hang on your shoulders and after a few minutes they say that breathing becomes really difficult in that position. And it's then when these men would push on their legs just to push up their body and to get a a breath into their lungs, and they would hang there. This was a slow death. It was not like the other deaths where they would uh, kill them instantly. And the reason why they had these kind of deaths was they wanted these people to think of the crime they did while they were hanging there, maybe for hours. And every time when it becomes difficult, they push up. Because you see, hanging like that, there's some muscles in your shoulders, and it can hold for only such a time, but gravity pulls it down. And after a while, it dislocates your shoulders. So there's no pulling power in your arms anymore. At this point of time, you don't feel the pain, they say. Because there's too many points of pain in your body. It's the pain in your hands, the pain of the muscles, the tension on the muscles, the ligaments, everything pulls down. Gravity. And it raises me that gravity was made by God. He made gravity, and that's why we can sit and not floating around. And that's what they rely on. Gravity will kill you eventually. And as the shoulders get dislocated, the only thing they've got is those legs, and they push up. Push up to get breath. And on the inside of the body, all the muscles, if you pull them uh, for too long, too hard, blood starts to seep out of those muscles. And that starts bleeding on the inside of your body. And if it continues for a long time, the blood starts flowing up in your body. And that's why when they came to him, they they put the spear into the side. Not only is it blood; it's also the water in your body starts forming inside. It becomes like a big mass of on the inside, just uh, something that holds back the blood. And when they spear him in the side, it was blood and water that came out. That's all medical stuff. And eventually, they say these people drown from the inside. That's how they die. It's horrible death. Horrible. And after a few hours, could be up to five hours or longer even, the soldiers would come past and they would break the legs of these men. They would walk up to the cross and they would take a hammer and they will hit you on the sin splints and the legs will break. The reason for this is so that these people don't have that power to push up, push up anymore. Now it's time to die. They came to the cross of the first man and they broke his legs because he was still fighting. He was still swearing. He was still trying to live, hold on to the one thing. The Bible says that so sometimes we try to save our own lives, but in, in the process we lose them. They came to the second cross and they had to break that man's legs. But when they came to the middle cross, he was dead already. They didn't have to break his legs. Prophecy tells us that they will not break his legs. Because he himself said, It is finished. He gave his life, it wasn't taken from him. And if you think about how he died, and he was innocent, he hung on that cross for one reason. He went through that pain for one reason. And that is for our judgment, for our wrath. If you think that pain was horrible, and you you think, well, that's what he done for me, think of this. At one stage while he was hanging on the cross, the Father turned away his face from him. And he says, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? There's one thing more horrible, more terrible than the pain that he had to go through, and that was for the presence of the Lord to depart from him. And that was the price. That was the price. His blood brought atonement for you and for my sin. He did it for us. He died for you and for me. God demonstrated his own love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some of those people who were standing in the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. They didn't realize that what he was doing was for them. In most of the churches where you will go this morning, that's what they will tell you. That's what this whole weekend is all about. It's about Jesus dying for us on the cross. That is the historical facts that I just gave you. And each year when this time comes around, they tell the same story. And each year they come around and they have services all over this weekend. And I want to take you to a passage this morning a few days after that. And I want to talk to you and show you a story about two men who walked. And they discussed exactly the same thing. Maybe they also amongst themselves spoke of how he died. And how, cru- how this crucial pain or this Terrible pain in his body and how they they stood. Maybe they were eyewitnesses. But go with me to Luke chapter 24. And we look down at verse 13. Now this is after Jesus was risen from the grave. Because the good news of all of this is that three days later, when they came to the tomb, it was empty. You know, these men were so afraid what would happen to the body of Christ, the scribes and the Pharisees. They went to Pilate and they said, listen, his disciples is going to come and they're going to steal the body. You better protect the body. I love it. Because it gave us more evidence and proof that he was risen from the grave. They sealed the tomb and they put a seal on it. How did they put a seal on it? They had a rope And then in the middle they had something which got only the governor's mark on it. And whoever breaks that that seal will be killed by their soldiers. Not only that, he had a guard of soldiers standing, guarding the tomb. But yet, three days later, when they came there, it was open. The clothes were neatly put in place. The headband was rolled up and folded and put in a different place. There was no robbers there. It was closed from the outside, but it wasn't going to stop him. There was authority over that place, but that wasn't going to stop him. And when Mary Magdalene came there and she walked around, she said, where's my Lord, where's my Lord, they've taken my Lord. He himself appeared to her and he said, Mary, and when he called her name, she recognized him. John and Peter was there, they looked at the grave. There's so many evidence. But still, even until today, they believe that his body was stolen. The disciples took it away so that this myth can live. But what is in your heart this morning? How do you see these events, which the world called Easter, but I call it the death and resurrection of our Lord? What do you see? What do you you personally get out of this? I think we find a type of ourselves in the following story. Look at Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now I'm just going to expose it to you, explain it to you as we go on. It says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But the eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Now just take these two men. They walked. Uh, the place here was a place of hot pools, warm pools. And they thought, man, after all of this, we, we can't take the street to handle it anymore. Let's go for a walk out of Jerusalem, around about 12 kilometers. It's from here to Rangitoto, maybe a little bit further, okay? the island Rangitoto. You'll have to walk through water. But they walked for 12 miles. And while they walked on, they sort of discussed these things. The Bible says they 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 talked about the things, what's happened, and they reasoned amongst themselves. How can this be? I want you to understand one thing. These were two of the disciples, not the 11 that stayed there, but they were some of the disciples who followed also. And I think at one point, doubt had to creep into their hearts. I think at one point they, they said amongst themselves, hey, these people just talk the same thing over and over. Let's just get out of this place. Let's just get into a different place and see things from a different perspective. And they walked. And as they walked, they discussed these things. How he was crucified. How he hung on the cross. And the Bible says Jesus drew near to them. And they were so deep in discussion that I believe they didn't pay much attention to this third party who came into their discussion. And as they walked, they just they just kept on talking and discussing what's going on. Another reason is because their eyes were restrained also. And see what Jesus says in verse 17. And he said to him, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you are sad? For a while, Jesus just walked with them. He didn't say a word. And I believe he just wanted to hear what comes out of their hearts. Sometimes it's good to listen to what people say. The Bible says, listen before you talk. Now, as Jesus walked with them, he says, Hey, what is this conversation? What's going on? Not only is it the conversation they've got, but they were sad and i think you could see it on their countenance and maybe the whole body language as they just walked on they didn't they wasn't in a hurry to get to this place i mean something went away they've lost something special and as they walked on and maybe their shoulders dropped and their faces dropped and they said and they took him to the cross and, and could you believe they they did all of this and hey and then these these women came and they said he was risen from the dead but still peter and john they didn't see him How can I believe these things? And they were still sad. He says, Why are you so sad? And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there these days? He says, Hey, it took the whole city, everybody knew what was going on. Who are you? Where do you come from? And he said to them, What things? Now, I want to ask you a question because it, it really intrigued my mind. Do you think Jesus didn't know what was going on in Jerusalem? Really? Come on. How could he not have known if it happened to him? So what's he trying to do here? I'm getting curious now. See, Jesus, instead of asking and putting it out of them, why don't you just lay it out to them and say, hey, here I am. But you see, this is how God works. It's got to be a faith-based life you live. He wants to, I think, just listen to what is coming out. What's their faith? And see what this man says. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, everybody say but. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and a certain woman of your company who arrived in the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of the angels who said he was alive. And a certain of those who were with us Went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. I want you to understand one thing. He gave him the whole story. He's a stranger. He didn't know what was going on. And Cleopas said, Man, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed. I'll tell you what's happened. Now, what do they know about Jesus? I want you to notice they know his name and they know where he was born. Jesus of Nazareth. What do they know also? They know that he was a prophet. And that's what he says. And then it goes on to say he was mighty indeed in word. And they go on to say that he was crucified. And they go on to say that he was risen from the grave. So why were they sad? If that's the story then, why were they sad? I look upon people in today's life who call them children, born-again children... And once this time of the year come around, there's a countenance that's fall over them. And I want to ask the same question, why are you sad? You see, there's a local application of this. It's what physically happened those days. And then we have a future application, and that's in our day and age. And one thing that I picked up from this conversation is, what did Jesus mean to those men? I'll tell you one thing. The things which I just mentioned, Jesus of Nazareth, prophet, mighty in word and deed, crucified, risen, all of those things didn't make them sad. Oh, they've lost a dear friend, but that's all what he was to them. The fact that made them sad is after the word but. What made them sad? Come on, you search for it. It's after the word but. Somebody read it out. But we were hoping. You see, this to me brings out a different thing of these men. They tell him all the stories. They are so sad. Hey, he's risen. He's not in the grave anymore. He said it, but they didn't believe it. Because they had a different hope for him. They were hoping that it would be he who would redeem Israel. They had a specific purpose for Jesus Christ. But the church today and even this morning in this place, there's a lot of Cleopas here. There's a lot of Cleopasas sitting right here this morning and in the churches. And I'll tell you why. Because there's a lot of people in this church and even in other churches who hope that Jesus can do something for them. And this is how they say it they say that but we hoped that Jesus gonna help me with my debt. Are you with me now? But he didn't do it. And there's some might say, But we hope, we were hoping that Jesus would help me with my family problems. And you know what they go? They go and pray and they say, Lord, you know that I'm right and they're wrong. Please, Lord, I hope that you will help me. And you know what, on the other side, the other family of that same family, they pray and they say, Lord, you know that I am right and they are wrong, and I hope, Jesus, that you will help me. You see, that's what a lot of people do these days. They hope that Jesus will help them with their things. You make debt. You take on a lot of HPs. You didn't control your own finances. And then you go to Christ and you say, Lord Jesus, I hope that you can help me with my finances because, you know, I needed all these things and there was no other way that I could buy them apart from that. And so people built up their own hopes for Jesus. And you know what he stays? He stays Jesus of Nazareth for you. Jesus, I was so hoping that you will help me with my work. Jesus, I was so hoping that you will help me with this one. I really want to work with that company, not that. I was so hoping that you would help me. And you know how people pray this? They go on their knees and they say, Lord, if only you can give me this work, I will worship you forever. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Come on, I prayed it in my life before I understood what was going on. And this is why they were sad. Oh, Jesus, I was hoping that you could help me with my problems, but now you didn't help me. How sad. You didn't help me. And so people live out their lives as Christians. And they are Cleopas. They are like these two men. And you know what they do? They walk slowly towards their destiny, discussing it with one another, and they pull each other selves down. You don't understand how horrible my life is. I shouldn't have married him 50 years ago. <laughs> but you are, you understand. These two people were looking at Jesus and the circumstances, and you, you know why I picked this up. Look at verse 25. Then he said to them, after hearing all of this, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Where's your faith? What happened to your faith? In all that the prophets have spoken. Now look at verse 26. This he said, this is the answer to it. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? What did they see? When he started telling them in verse 19, what did he say? So he said to them, the things concerning... Come, where's the people who's awake in the church? Come on. this Jesus of Nazareth. So they saw the man. When Jesus started explaining to them in verse 26, what he says, Ought not the Christ. You got me? Ought not the Christ. For then he stayed Jesus of Nazareth who was going to help them with their problems. In other words, we're going to take him and put him in our square little box for our family. Jesus, this is how we need you. You might as well just put him up there on the balcony and you might as well just worship that box because he's not going to stay in that box. What was his purpose? Turn with me and keep that place to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Christ means anointed. That's the word, what the word Christ means. Anointed. And you find the word Christ 532 times in the New Testament. And you only find it in the New Testament. 532 times, the anointed ones. Do you think it might be important for us to understand what Christ means if it's so many times mentioned in the New Testament? Well, these Cleopas didn't understand it. And even today in the church, people don't understand who Christ really is. Why did he come? Why did he come to this world? To save us. Look at John chapter 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus of Nazareth, that's the Jesus that Cleopas knew, did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. These things were written that you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's why Jesus came, to die on the cross for you and for me. But for them it didn't matter, because Jesus is only going to help me out in my problems, my day-to-day problems. And I'm going to come to him and pray to him everything that I need. He knows what you need, and he will supply to your need. Now this is he, this is what he does, and he says to them, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, he started preaching to them the gospel. Now I want you to understand one thing about these men. When I read the story, I pick up that they were some of his followers, his disciples. And they were also sitting with the other, the 11 and a few of the others. When, when you go to the book of Acts, you find there were 120 of them in the upper room, not only 11, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. They might have been some of the 120, but they came to a point when Jesus of Nazareth couldn't do anything for them anymore. And what did they say? We're going to get out of here. It's not working for me. Have you met some of those people in your life? We're going to get out of here. Hey, we need a warm bath. After all of these things, we need to relax. It's too much for our stress levels. Let's walk to that place called Emmaus and take a hot bath maybe. And they walked on their way away from the things. Because their faith was was scattered. They didn't believe. He died. And where is he now? He's not going to save us anymore. He's not going to be the king of Israel and take us out under the government of the Romans. Let's just get out of here. And that's how a lot of people operate in today's life. They come into the church and they see a lot of hypocrites in the church and they say, hey, let's get out of here. He's not here. Or they see people who's doing things wrong. The only reason why you see people doing things wrong is because your focus is on the wrong place. You need to focus on God, not on people. And the fact that you can see the faults in other people is because you yourself has got the same facts so that you can identify those wrong things. Wow. So, let's walk to Emma's. And Jesus met him and he started explaining to them the things which is really him. He says, you've got it wrong. I didn't come for you, for your silly, petty things that you want. I got, came for the bigger picture. I was anointed. Luke chapter 4 verse 17. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor to heal the brokenhearted, to make the blind to see. That's who I am. I'm not going to come into your little life and your family life and for your pretty things. And then you throw a few scriptures just to make impression on no No, I didn't come for that. I came to save the lost. Now, you can either believe in me as Jesus Christ of Nazareth, or Jesus of Nazareth, or you can believe in me as the Christ, the anointed one who came. Now, there's a lot of good teaching that's going to come out of this. Now, look at verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the Scriptures to us? Let me bring you to another important thing that we must realize. These were some of his disciples. So, no doubt, they were with him. They walked and they listened to some of his sermons. But yet, they didn't hear those sermons and those words. Why now all of a sudden, when he walked with them and he opened the scriptures from Moses and he spoke about them, why now all of a sudden something burned in their hearts? It brings me to the next thought, and that is that sometimes people sit in the church and they hear the message over and over and over again and they shut their own ears from the inside. How many sermons have you listened to in your life? Come on. Thousands? Tens of thousands, maybe? How many of them can you still remember? Well, I can remember those who made my heart burn from within. Wow! It burned from within. You see, it starts with you, not with the preacher. Oh yes, you get preachers who don't preach the word, but then you've got to sort them out and you've got to go to the ones who can open the word to you. But once, how many of you have sit... Even in church, here in this church, and when you heard the word, it went inside of you, such a burning excitement. Come on, how many? That's the Spirit of God came to you and He spoke to you in your heart. Then you need to take heed to that. These men now, when He spoke to them, they say, wow, we had this burning. Listen, I want you to understand perfectly clear. I'm not talking about a warm, tingling thing that comes over you. I'm talking with the word that goes in and the word makes you alive from the inside. Man, I experience it sometimes while I preach. And I experience when my heart goes boom, 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 boom. And I say, Lord, if it's going to beat hard, it's going to get out of this cage, man. (laughs) That's the excitement that the Word of God brings. Notice, no signs, no wonders, no miracles. Just the Word of God. Say it with me. Just the Word of God. Say it again. Just the Word of God. And he brought it to them. And he preached to them, he gave it to them, he says, I'm he. And when he broke that bread, now, how come only when he broke the bread? Well, it, it's, it's, we can make it simple or we can make it difficult. As he walked with them, they couldn't maybe see his hands. And, but when he sat down, maybe they saw the signs in his hands and, and realized it's him. It's really him. Maybe it's the way he broke the bread. Only he broke the bread in a specific way. And they went, wow, it's him. As soon as they saw him, he vanished. And then they came up and said, man, it burned in your hearts. It burned in your hearts. So they rose up that very hour, and they returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven. And those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened in the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I want to ask you this morning, who do you know him for? Do you know him as Jesus of Nazareth, or is he the Christ to you? If he is the Christ to you, then you will have peace in your life. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you, but... They were terrified and frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit, a ghost. Just imagine, we close these doors, and all of a sudden, somebody appears here and stands here in the midst of us. Are you going to be frightened? Come on, be honest. You're going to say, wow, what's going on here? And they were afraid. They saw, thought they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that is myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as if you see. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, but while they still did not believe, for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of boiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Now, you ask me, you say, How is our bodies going to be after the rapture? There's a good example. We're not just going to be a wishy wind that blows into the place. Or you see some of these photos which they say it's ghost photos and you see some kind of, of thing and there's just air blowing through it. No, he says, come, touch me, feel me. It is going to be different than this body. The fact is that the body that we're going to get is not going to decay. Now I look at my photos when I got married and I look at me myself now and I think it's two different people. <laughs> because this body decay. You get wrinkles and you get the hair fall out and you get places where there was no places before. And, but the thing is, this body is the body that God gave us and I thank him for that. But hey, we're going to get a different body. Are we going to be able to eat? Why do we say yes? Because Jesus ate. We're going to be like him. Okay? And I can go on about that. But I take him as, as my example. He appeared amongst them. Are we going to be able to walk through walls? Well, is it going to be important? It's not going to be important to me. Because the place where I'm going, it's not important who built it. There's not going to be a builder's report and a lum report and all these reports. Because he built it. He made it. Is there going to be doors and walls? I don't know. I haven't been there. We can only trust the word and believe on the word. Don't get caught up into those things which people want to use to just take you away from your belief in your faith. But he sat down and he ate. He says, hey, give me food and I'll show you. I eat with you. Why did he eat with them? Was was, was it so important? No, he wanted to show them. He says, hey, I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost that's going to blow in. He says, I've got a body. I've got bones. Feel the holes. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. If there's one prayer that I want you to pray, is say, Lord, please open up the scriptures for me. Because I can stand here and I can be the most brilliant professor you can find. You can replace me. I'm replaceable. <clears throat> the only person who's not replaceable is if you bring a bucket of water into this place and you put your hand in there in water and you pull it out and, and you know the hole is still there. If you find somebody like that, he's irreplaceable, okay? So anybody can be replaced. You can come up to me and say, hey, your knowledge of the Scripture is so deep. We want somebody with deeper knowledge. And you get the best professor you can find. And they are very clever professors in in, in theology. And you bring him and he can preach to you until it is blue Monday, okay? But all you will get is head knowledge. You will not be able to comprehend the Scriptures. I'm not trying to give you head knowledge. Some of these things I don't understand, but I know God will open it up for me. And you know what happens to me? The more I study and the more I pray and the more I stay in the Word, the more He opens it up to me so that I can comprehend the Scriptures. Now this amazes me, that they walked with Him all this time and He spoke to them the things and they couldn't understand it. And now He comes and He says that He opened up their understanding. Whenever I do Bible study, I pray. I say, Lord, this is Greek to me because it's written in Greek, only translated into English. I say, Lord, please open up my understanding so I understand that. And the more you read it, the more it opens it up. Then he said to them, he says, That is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. How many days? Three days. He said it himself and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are the witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endured with power from on high. Now we're going to finish with that, and I'm nearly finished. I've got five minutes left. But listen, what is the message? He gives it to us there. He gives it to us. He says that repentance and remission of sin should be preached. The problem with the church today in general is that they say we preach too much sin in church. They don't want me to come to you and say, hey, the things that you are doing is sin. And if you continue in the sin, you go to hell. Because they don't want to hear the word hell in church anymore. But Jesus said, you better preach it to them. Because if they're not going to hear that, they're going to go to eternal hell. It's a physical place. So it's not me who wants to be a fire and brimstone preacher. And where does that term come from? It's those who preach hell. It is a place of fire and brimstone. It's Jesus who started off saying, you better tell these people they sin and that I hate sin and sin will not enter into the kingdom. It's him. We need to preach sin. We need to tell people that the lives that we live out of your old nature is a selfish life. It's a humanistic life. It's all about us. And we need to tell people you have to die in yourself. But do you think people want to hear that? If a preacher preaches brimstone on a Sunday morning, afterwards when you hear them talk in the hallways, wow, he was mad today. What's wrong with him? Come on. Or if he preaches on like that, oh, what did he read this week? But that's the message. He says, preach to them repentance and remission of sin. Should be preached. He said, preach it, brother, preach it. But it's since we started giving sin medical terms that it's now acceptable and now the medi- pharmaceutical companies are making lots of money because sin has become a problem. And now we give you depressive pills and antidepressants and all these things. Because, hey, it's not because of you. It's because of your mother and father, how they lived, and it was just passed over to your generation. Man, cut it. Say, Lord, from today on, I cut that chain. I come to you and I repent of my sin and start anew with a life that you give me. I think we need to preach more sin and hell in this church. Don't you? And he goes on to say, he says it must be preached. Start in Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I sent the promise of my Father. I sent the promise of my Father. And God is a meticulous counter. He knows exactly, He's got His timing perfect. Because it was that feast. 50 days later from the Passover feast, there's another feast called Pentecost. He died on that feast. For 40 days He walked on the earth. And he told his disciples at one stage, he says, it's better for you that I go, because if I go, the helper will come, the Holy Spirit. Okay? And ten days after that, in the day of Pentecost, the promise of the Father came according to verse 49. He says, the promise of the Father upon, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you receive power. And wow, when they hear the word power, they go back to Jesus of Jerusalem, of Nazareth. The power that he did. But it's not based on faith. You shall receive power when the spirit comes upon you. It means dynamos. He will become dynamic. You will become a dynamic witness. Not all these fancy things. So that's the story this morning. It's a simple story, but I believe it speaks to your hearts here this morning. I want to ask you one thing. Did you hope that Jesus was going to meet your needs? Is that why you came? Did you come to him when you became a Christian? You call the day when you came to him, you say, Lord, I've got a desperate need in my life. If you don't come into my life, I'm going to lose that thing. If you came in that way, I want to tell you this morning, friend, you're in danger of coming the wrong way. Because you wanted to see him as Jesus of Nazareth. He needs to become the Christ in your life. The Lord and Savior. He did all he did for you. All He asks you to do is to come to Him and say, Lord, you can't save yourself, but you can draw near to Him. And the Bible says those who draw near to Him, He will draw near to them. When the Spirit talks to you, when you sit in the church and you feel that your heart is burning because of every single word, and you can't wait for the next word to come out, respond on the Spirit. The reason why your heart is burning is because the Spirit of God is with you. He's knocking on your door. He says, open up. But listen to me. When you open up, don't open the door just ajar. Open it up widely. And when you invite the Spirit of God into your heart, don't just take Him into the living room of your heart. Take Him into all the rooms and say, please clean out all these rooms. Make me new, a new creation. Don't keep one room for yourself, the trophy room. Whenever the Spirit wants to come close to the trophy room, you say, no, 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 wait a minute. They're going to think I'm weak. They're going to think I'm a sissy. They're going to think all these things of me. I'm not that. I'm still strong. It's because you're strong that he can't clean it out. Your life has to change. It has to make a 180 degree turn. But do what David called. David cried out to the Lord. He says, Lord search my heart don't be religionized friends come and be saved and be washed by the blood of the lamb don't this morning stand up and tell us all the stories this time of the year they tell to the kids you can go into the sunday school they tell all the story about how he died on the cross and now he's risen again they've got services running from monday to 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 monday uh, from friday to monday And most people will go to church just to soothe their consciences. They go to church, hey, because it's the right time of the year, it is Passover, it is the time that Jesus died. Well, that's good. And I I really enjoy the day of Friday. I really enjoy it. When I pray in the morning, I say, Lord, I thank you for this day. But friends, it happened to me every single day. Every single day when I wake up, I say, Lord, I thank you that you died on the cross. I don't have to wait until this time of the year to come to that date. And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden we have special things going on. Every single day of your life needs to be special to Him. You have to be sold out to Him every single day. He didn't just die for me on, on, on Friday that day. He dies for me every single day. He didn't ra- ra- was risen on, on, on the day after. No, He was risen for me every single day. And because He lived, I can face tomorrow. Because He's not Jesus of Nazareth to me. He's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. My Lord and my Savior, let's stand and pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, if I may use the word Lord, it's a simple message. It's too many who walked on a road, discussed the things amongst them others, but within themselves they didn't even know that they didn't have the faith. They were walking away from the things. Jesus, after he spoke to them, they went towards the things. They went back. And maybe this morning there's hearts here in this place who need to go back to you. Maybe there's people here this morning who's walking on this road to Emmaus, to a comfortable place. They say, hey, this religion thing is, is uncomfortable. It came a little bit too close to my heart. It came a little bit too close for me to expose myself. Because in this world, exposure means weakness. So it came too close. I'm going to walk away now to my comfort zone again. I'm going to go to that place, that nice place. Father, this morning, as people might have walked in this place in the spirit on that road, somebody came and walked with them. Maybe through my voice. Jesus. He said, where are you heading? Where are you going? Why are you so sad? Father, even in this congregation, there are people who are happy, but they are sad. They're happy on the face, but they are sad in the hearts. Only you know and they know, Lord. And sometimes, oh yes, there's sometimes when they can't hide it. And then for, for a short time, it comes up and, and it inflares like a flame. And then after a, a while, the flame gets cooled down and it goes underneath the skin again. And they are happy, but they are sad. And Jesus says this morning, why are you so sad? Father, in this prayer I pray that you touch their hearts.